eyes closed. But Father, thank you for the promises that you will never, ever let us go. Through the ups and the downs of life, Father God, no matter where life finds us, you have never lost sight of us, God. Even our deepest sins that could take us so far away from you, God, you still have your eye on us. You're watching over us. You're caring for us. You're calling us back to yourself, Father God, to enjoy this wonderful love affair with your son, Lord. God, I thank you for watching over my life and my wife and my friends and my family, God, and and everybody in this congregation. Thank you for all the miracles that are represented in this room today, God. Thank you for the children, God. Thank you for the gift of the womb. Thank you that these parents have created little boys and girls after your likeness, God. How wonderful. What marvelous gift this is you have given to moms and dads, Father. Bless the children. As Jesus says, bless the little children. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Please be seated. If you have your Bible, would you open up to Psalm 19? Psalm 19. Children may be excused. Are you with me? All right, if we could put that on the overhead, I'd greatly appreciate it. Follow with me as we listen to King David. God's perfect word. To the choir master, a psalm of David, starting in verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day, it pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth. And their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. And like a strong man runs its courts with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The Lord, the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is pure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing of the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there's a great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back his servant from all presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. 
Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray. Lord, open up our hearts to understand the scriptures. Open up the minds to see how, how wonderful you are and how perfect your word is. This Bible that we hold in our hands, let us cherish every word that drips down with the heavenly doctrine of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. God, give us a hunger and, yes, a thirst for your word, Father God. Let us go to your word in the morning. Let us go to your word in the afternoon. Let us go to your word at night. Let us go to your word for answer in the tough times. And let us go through a word to learn how to rejoice in the good times, Father God. Take this word and hide it in our hearts, Holy Spirit, that we not sin against our Lord. Breathe upon this congregation today and open up our hearts and our minds to the magnificent power of the word of God. In Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know how many people here are familiar with Psalm 19 or the Psalms in general. But we have something here. King David is really speaking about the word of God, but he uses a comparison in the first six verses. And comparisons of uh, two different things are a great way to showcase the worth of one or something or someone by comparing it to something else. Sometimes a comparison can show similarities. At other times it shows uh, differences, uh, and also sometimes they show different levels of equality or the worth, and that's what we have here today. David really wants to show us how incredible the Word of God is, and so to showcase that, he paints as a backdrop how incredible the heavens are, and we all can say just how incredible the universe is, but compared to the Word of God, there is no comparison. And that's what David's getting to. We're going to look at this as we go along. Nobody would disagree with the psalmist's outlook on the heavens. Few people today in the 21st century would disagree with the first six verses uh, that were written 3,500 years ago. Few people would say, uh, you know, the universe is cool, but it's nothing like David's saying. Uh, few people would ever say that. Even today, people speak of the wonder of nature in almost religious terms. I've spoke to many uh, occultists, friends of mine, and, and, and New Ages, and they feel like they're part of something when they're worshiping the universe or worshiping nature. Something special or something grand or something bigger than themselves, but they just don't know what that is. Nature really does have a way of speaking to us, and it really shows us how tiny we are compared to the universe. There's something about nature when you're really looking at it, you feel small. I remember when I went to California, Northern California, and I saw something I've been wanting to see for many, many years since my childhood, and that was the redwood trees. You know, you can see it on TV, but when you're standing next to these gigantic trees, it's it's incredible. You know, and you really just look up and you get this sense of how big the universe is and just how small we are on planet Earth as just mortal men and women. That's all we are. We're finite beings. And sometimes by looking at nature, we get this sense of awe that we really are just finite, temporary, as the book of James says, we're like a vapor. We're here and we're gone. Nature has a way of making us feel like that. Well, nature also, as the psalmist says, has its own language. You know, there's this language of awe. 
you know, many times we've probably all seen this wonderful, uh, uh, we can go right down here to our own shore over here and see marvelous sunsets. And you, you can be with a crowd of people that you know and many people you don't know and you're watching one of these marvelous sunsets. No one's saying anything. But everybody's experiencing the same thing. You're just in awe. It has a language all its own. It speaks to the heart. But you can't really capture it in words. You can't tell somebody the next day, I saw this great sunset, and it was like, you can't do that. It, it falls apart. It fails. It breaks down as soon as you try to describe it. you got to see it to understand it. But the universe also has ways of revealing very silent Mysteries about the universe. It leaves room for the imagination. Many what ifs. What could be out there? It's these kind of things that drive the ancient alien theorists to think that what if? What if Jesus was an alien? I love that. <laughs> what if? Or could it be? I like to watch those shows. I get a kick out of it. But that's their favorite two lines. What if and could it be? And then from those two statements, what if and could it be, their imagination runs into all speculations. And then they're basically saying they're really there and we're just part of their seed or something like that. But that's their favorite phrase and then their imaginations run forward. Well, in a way, that's what, our, that's what we have in our psalm tonight. But we have it without any speculations, without any superstitions. We're not misled in any way by Psalm 19 because it points to the God of the Bible. Let's make no mistake about that. Everything in creation in this Psalm and the whole Bible is attributed to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Every word is biblical revelation to us. It's a deeper understanding of God. Not any old God, not the God of someone else, or the God of man's opinions, or the God of the 21st century. No, this is the God It goes much, much deeper. This is the God of creation that has redeemed us in Jesus Christ. This is the one true God has created all things. And through nature has revealed some things about himself. But remember something about nature. It can reveal the power of God. It can reveal some wisdom of God. It does not reveal the law of God or the love of God at all. Nature will never get us to sing, Oh, beautiful one. Did that song touch your heart today? You see, only the word of God can do that. Nature can never get us to say, It is well with my soul. Only the scriptures can get us to say that. Nature can never get us to say or teach us God's unfailing love. It can never do that. But nature doesn't compare the scripture in revealing who God is personally. This is important. This is what David's saying. Though nature can teach us many things. It can never teach us who God is. 
who God personally is. Only the law of God can do that. Only the scriptures can do that. And make no mistake about it, the God of nature is the God of the Bible. Amen. Make no mistake about it. There aren't a bunch of gods up there choosing sides, and one for the sun, one for the moon, one for the stars. There is one God, period. Jehovah God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There are three dynamics in our psalm tonight that we must know about. I'll give a general understanding of it, then we'll go through it uh, on their verses. The first one to six, verses one to six, are what we call general revelation. General revelation, uh, I'll get into it later. Verses 7 to 11 are special revelation. Can you say it with me? General revelation. General, general revelation. Can you say special revelation? Special, special revelation. And verses 12 to 14 are personal revelation. Are you ready? General revelation? Special revelation? Personal revelation. But before we go on into what general, special, and personal is, let me tell you what revelation is from a biblical perspective. It is something that cannot be known unless it is revealed to us. We cannot draw the conclusions on our own. God has to tell us. It's something hidden and will always remain hidden unless God is pleased to reveal to us something about it. Otherwise, it's guessology at the best. Let's start with general revelation or nature. The first six verses. General revelation or nature is something that is common to all men. That's why it's general revelation. It's common to all men. It's common to all cultures in all existences throughout the millennium. It's something that we can objectively look at whether I'm in China, whether I'm in South America, whether I'm in Brooklyn, New York. We can study the universe. It's objectively analyzed by all men. Every man can see it. Any man can analyze it. So on and so forth. It's common. It's general to all men and women. Of all times. This is what we call general revelation. Special revelation is different. This is God's personal revelation about himself. So all human beings throughout human history can look at the sky and say with our psalmist how incredible the universe is. But not everybody can say how wonderful, loving, and forgiving God is. Unless you have special revelation. Do you see the difference? This is why David says a lot of good things about general revelation, nature. But when his words that he chooses to highlight special revelation is of a different kind. The quality is different. Special revelation is different. This is God's personal revelation about himself, about his will. Nature can never teach us about God. Nature can never teach us about his will. Nature can never teach us about his ways, his desires, his plans, uh, who he is, what he wants us to know. Nature can never teach us how to please God or what displeases God. Nature can never teach us that God is a personal being. 
Just like you and I are personal beings and our words convey love for one another. Our words convey who I am on the inside. You don't know someone until they open themselves up to you. Nature cannot do that. But the Word of God does it. In the Word of God, God says, this is who I am. This is what I want. This is how much I love you. This is what pleases me. This is what displeases me. So on and so forth. This is special. It's personal. It reveals things about God himself that we could never know about him. Absolutely impossible. It also reveals who we are as human beings. Science can tell us about a lot about what we're made of. Some commonalities we have, even with the animal kingdom. And science can give us a lot of questions, answer a lot of questions about biology and even psychology. But science cannot tell us what life is all about. Nature cannot tell us why I'm here, why I exist. What's life all about? These are the big, grand questions of life. Science can tell us, or science quest is to study the universe and try to find out when it happened and how it happened. Remember, that's a scientific endeavor. When it happened and how it happened. And to today, how it maintains and physics and all that stuff. But the Word of God teaches us who created and why he created. That's the personal side. And as Christians, we value every word God speaks about himself and about us. But then we get into personal revelation. Personal revelation shows us what we are on the inside. What it means to be created in the image of God. What makes us unique from the animal kingdom. What makes us different from each other? What what are the same similarities we have with each other? Only the Word of God can do that. Personal revelation shows us what we are on the inside, what's really going on in the human heart. And guess what? What's really wrong with this world? Only the Word of God can teach us human sin and human need of God's grace and God's redemption. And only the Word of God can show us where we can find help. Nature will never point you to the cross and say, Go ye yonder and find redemption. Come ye all you are heavy laden and you'll find rest for your soul. Nature can't do that to you. I've just spoke at length to someone who has just been delivered, and that's the word I use, delivered or rescued, from the occult from worshiping uh, created things and idolatry and, and uh, they grew up in a Christian home but they ran away from God and they followed this very strange path and in and, and, and the deepest time of their life they cried out and said Jesus I need you God rolled up his sleeves took that girl right out of the occult put her feet on solid ground she's worshiping the Lord Praise now God. only God can do that Amen only the God, only a cult can take you further and further away from God. Yes. Jesus brings us back to the Father. 
Jesus Christ is God's greatest revelation of himself. So we're going to listen to our text tonight with these three things in mind, okay? Natural revelation or general revelation, special revelation or the word of God, and personal revelation, how God speaks to us, right? It's all, it's all in our text tonight. Let's go to the first six verses, and we can put them up there. Okay, let's listen to King David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor their words whose voice is not heard. Basically saying, it's global. You could be anywhere on this globe at any time, and everybody sees it the same. Verse 4, their voice goes out to all the earth. And their words to the end of the world. David's given us a picture of a sermon being proclaimed by the universe. As the universe is, is personified as a preacher. Preaching the greatness of God. Their voice goes out, verse 4, throughout all the earth. Their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun. Which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. And a strong man runs this course with joy. Its rising is from the ends of the heaven. And its circuits to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The universe here is basically a general sermon to all people in all times and places that God is absolutely incredible. And there is no other. Period. Stand in awe of God. Is what the universe is saying. Stand in awe that you are part of and a participate participating in something much grander than you could ever, ever thought of or aspire to unless God has revealed it to you. To have of God, this have God revealing himself in nature has drove ancient civilizations to construct massive, massive building projects to somehow harness the power of the sun and harness the power of nature or some way to appease God to think of the ancient Mayans and the Incas and and the Egyptians the Druids and these great building projects that, that stung the imagination of 21st century engineers and architects. That how in the world could they have done it? How in the world and why would they have ever done it? But this is why when you know there's a God and you don't know who he is, you will fall into all superstition to try to please him. Or try to appease this God you don't know. He's there somewhere, but... But that's what the universe can do. The universe can tell you something's there, but the universe doesn't tell you what's wrong. How many of you are familiar with Abraham of the Old Testament? I hope so. No, the scriptures teach him he's the father of what? Father of faith. Well, the father of the faith was actually an idolater. He actually worshipped the moon. Every night when the moon come up high, Abraham would get down on his face and worship the God, the moon God. Joshua 24, read it if you want to find out. But one day God saved him out of nowhere. 
God revealed himself with special revelation. As the father of faith, Abraham was bowing down to general revelation, the moon. God spoke to him and said, Abraham, get up, leave your country, leave your family, and go to a land that I'm going to show you. That was special revelation. God revealed himself to him. This was the beginning of all special revelation. Nature strikes both awe and fear into men's heart. But special revelation removes fear from men and puts awe in our hearts for God, the creator, not the creation of God. Are you with me? Special revelation goes beyond nature and says, this is who created it all. Worship him. But if you don't have the word of God to direct us, we can only worship the, the tree or the moon or the sun or the stars or the rocks or the tea leaves or the Ouija board. It's all you can do. But when you have the word of God, now we worship him who's created all things. Special revelation, as we're going to see, removes the darkness about who God is and what he's all about. By dealing with soul's greatest enemy, nature can never point us to the greatest enemy of all, that's sin within our own hearts. The ability to simply take life into our own hands and really not lean on God at all, not depend on God at all. Just live a separate life doing what we want to do, living by our own passions, our own desires, our own instincts. And special revelation has the ability, not just to reveal, but open up our eyes to spiritual enlightenment. Sin has darkened spiritual perception and leaves us wide open to satanic influences. Sin also keeps us in a constant state of self-deception. Neither nature or religion can ever remove the mask of self-deception. Only the Word of God. We're going to see that in our psalm. Let me give an example. I'll take an example from uh, heart patients. You know, heart patients can carry a disease of arteries or a weak heart for many years without showing any symptoms. But then a heart patient will go and get x-rayed and get sonograms and so on and so forth and MRIs to find out there is something going wrong on the inside. The patient doesn't know unless it's revealed because there's no symptoms. That's what the Word of God does for us. It reveals that we got the disease of self-deception and we're not really who we think we are. We need the Word of God to give us the whole story. And that's what we start in verse 7. Are you ready for the whole story? Are you sure you want to hear the whole story? Hold on. Here we go. Get ready. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Do you know what it means to revive the soul? It means to turn back the soul to the living God. The word means to return back to its original state. 
The word of God, not nature, could ever get a man to say, God, I have sinned against you, and I need you in my life. Only the word of God has the ability to take the soul that's created in the image of God and bring him back to the creator God. Nature cannot do that. David's overwhelmed. He's the king of Israel. This is not no hermit in the back of a cave somewhere. This is the man of the hour. He's at the height of his ministry. All the world is coming and bowing down to David. But David knows that without the word of God, he himself is nothing. The Lord, the Lord is perfect. Because only the Lord alert, the Lord of the Lord can turn a sinner back to God. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise of the simple. Let me give you a little uh, technical understanding of the Psalms. Psalms usually write the same thing two different ways. So one verse will basically say the same thing, but it's saying two different ways, so we get a grander picture. So the Lord, the Lord of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul, it can turn somebody back to God. The testimony, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise is simple. The simple in the Psalms, the word simple in, in the Old Testament means those who have lost their way. That's what the word simple means. Not simple-minded. It means they've lost their way. They've turned their back. So this, this verse 7 is saying the same thing. And that's why the simple can become wise. Because the wisest thing, because, oh, if you don't know, we're all simple. We're all like sheep have what? But one day, 30 years ago, I came into a church and I heard singing I never heard. I saw joy on faces I've never saw. I saw words, I don't remember the sermons those first several months, but the words were alive to me like I'd never experienced before. I didn't realize I was a simple man who needed his soul to be revived and turned back to the Lord. Though I had much this world had to offer, I did not have God. I worshipped everything but God. Verse 8 says, the precepts for the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. You know what it means? Just to be a happy person. Happy with life. Of course, you're happy with God. This word does not mean it needs to be stimulated anything from the outside. This joyful, happy person is stimulated for their joy and their happiness and their contentment based on nothing but their relationship with God. It has nothing to do whatsoever with outside entertainment, outside stimulation. Things could be going good and they're rejoicing. Things could be going bad and they're rejoicing. As the Apostle Paul says, rejoice in all things. I tell you again, rejoice. When you're right with God and you've turned away from your simple ways and you've come back to a revived heart and you're back to the living God and all of a sudden life takes its place and you realize that the most important things in life are not the things God gives me, but the God who gives me things. Thanks. The commandment of the Lord is pure. Enlightening the eyes. Enlightening means to dissipate. And what he's saying, the psalmist is saying is this. 
The commandment of the Lord is so pure, so powerful, so enlightening. It dissipates the ignorance we have about God. Remember a couple of weeks ago we spoke about living sacrifices and having our minds what? Our minds need to be re- renewed. That's the same thing the psalmist is saying here. We need to take out the old and replace it with the, the new. We need to dissipate all the ignorance about God. Let me give you a hint if you're not sure where you are on the ignorance scale. We're all ignorant of God until we come to Christ. He is the embodiment of God. All God, co-equal, co-eternal. As Jesus says, to see me is to see the Father in heaven. Only the word of God. Nature can never renew our mind. Nature can never give us a right understanding of the do's and don'ts of God. Nature can never get me to understand that God forgives me in Christ. Nature can never get me to sing how wonderful and well it is with my soul. Only the word of God. He goes on to say in verse 9, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. A reverence for God, a, a, a sort of God first approach to life, this God first in all things. I'm living with a God first approach to life. God in every small detail of my life, every interpersonal relationship, business, social, domestic, family, workplace, enemies, foes, in every relationship, God is first. You know what that's like? Spiritually, Jesus says it's like drinking living water. It's like a man dying of thirst in the desert with nothing to drink who stumbles upon fresh living water. Like the woman in John chapter 4. And taking a glass, did you ever drink when you really are thirsty and there's no prospect of getting water anywhere? For us, it's hard for us to say that we don't live in deserts. There's probably not one of us in here that really knows what it's like to go without water for four hours, never mind four days, with no prospect of ever even finding it. That's the picture the psalmist is giving here. It's clean, it's enduring forever. It's like a reviving. It's like this, I'm alive to God. It's like being filthy rags and coming and taking this hot, clean shower. And you just feel invigorated. But this is not a natural invigoration. It's an invigoration of the soul. And it's so invigorating, it's so not of this world, that Jesus himself has to say, well, it's like being born again. It's, it's the only thing I can say, Jesus says. When the greatest teacher of Israel asked Jesus, what is this? He goes, you have to be born again. It's not of this world. Verse 10. These laws and precepts of God, the word of God, says verse 10, are to be more desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Here's another comparison. He compares the law first to nature. Now he's comparing its word to what mankind thinks are the most precious things in the ancient world. And the precious things today is gold. And if you lived in, a, if you lived in the desert, to find honey was to find life. Honey was used, it wasn't, a, uh, it wasn't a dessert. It was food to live on and make medicine out of. 
and do other things with it. It was valuable. But the soul can live without gold. The soul can live without much fine gold. The soul can live without honey, and it can live without the drippings of the honeycomb, but the soul can never live without a revelation of God himself to us. Otherwise, the rest of our life is nothing but superstition. Do you not know by the time that anyone comes to Jesus Christ, your mind and your heart is filled with nothing but ignorance of God and silly superstitions. That's what we all were. Until the law of God said, no, Brian, this is who I am. And all of a sudden, all those Roman Catholic Irish superstitions my family handed down to me over the centuries just washed away. Washed away. I was like clean. I didn't realize I was dirty religious artifacts and statues and things that were just that were confusing me, never enlightening me. So precious the psalmist saying now that we have to seek it. We have to value the word of God. And please understand something. If John and I had anything we wanted, make sure you get is a love for the word of God. That's it. We are a church that loves the word of God. We teach the word of God. We proclaim the word of God. We encourage the word of God. We study the word of God. We stand in awe of what it says. There's nothing more precious to us than the word of God. And we want you to know that. That's why we have Bible study. And that's why we have Monday nights. And that's why we have Thursday. And that's why you have Saturdays at Kim's. That's why we're here on Sundays at 2.30. That's why we're preaching. Why? Because the word of God. If you can hunger and thirst for righteousness the way the Lord teaches us on the Sermon on the Mount. To love the word of God. You want to be a better husband? You want to be a better wife? You want to be a better son? You want to be a better daughter? You want to be a better friend? You want to be a better Christian? You have to love the word of God. If you're a businessman and you're in real estate and all of a sudden you get a real estate where you, you find out what makes you go to great men and you study their minds. But if you want to live, you got to study the mind of God. He's the author of life. Amen. Why are we going to Buddha to find out about life? Did he create you? Jesus created you. Why would you go anywhere to find out about what makes you tick? The word of God shows you. Listen to verse 11. This is where we go to personal now. Remember, there's general revelation through nature. It has its limitations. This special revelation... There are no limitations, but it has an effect. This is the fruit of special revelation, and it's personal. Listen to this, verse 11. Moreover, as that's not good enough, David's saying, as, as, as that alone is good enough, but he goes, besides that, moreover, by special revelation, by your word, by your law and your precepts, your servant is warned, and keeping them, there's a great reward. This is something now. Here they take on a sort of spiritual navigation system that keeps us on the right path with God. 
Because whether you know it or not, if you're a young Christian, or even an old Christian, because each day brings its own temptations. The world is a moral minefield. Yep. Honey, I, I, I don't know how it happened. I found myself in bed with her. Oh, just like that, huh? We're married 30 years, and all of a sudden you're in bed with someone, it just happened? No, it doesn't just happen. It's a moral minefield. Our hearts are prone to wander. I need the word of God to warn me of coming doom. The word of God is a preemptive strike against every weakness of your flesh. How many people want to live for the Lord? I'm speaking to Christians. You want to live for God? Yes. Yeah. You've got to have the word of God as a preemptive strike. It warns me to look to the right. Look to the right. It warns me how to negotiate the world we live in. That's what David's saying. He's the king. He goes on. Listen to this personal revelation. He has an aha moment. You can see David like the thinker, and he's thinking. And he has this rhetorical question: Who? possibly can discern his own errors. Who can declare me innocent from hidden faults? This is what David's saying. You can look at the sky and be in awe of the power and the wonder and the mysteries of nature, but it will do nothing to reveal the personal sinful tendencies we have against the holy God. Only the word of God can do that. That's why it's personal now. Listen, what my tendencies and your tendencies might be different, they might be the same, but I know what makes me tick now. 30 years of the word, I know. I know that part of me that doesn't, not good. And the word of God reveals it to me. Because I cannot discern my own errors. Because you remember, when we come to Christ, we come with self Deception. Nothing can reveal our personal sinful tendencies. Things hidden from everyone but God. And at many times, even ourselves. Surely, before I became a Christian, I would have said, yeah, anger, it's a fault. Lust, greed, not good. Murder, stealing, yes. But the word of God says gossipers will never enter into the kingdom of God. Did you know that? See, we are so used to this sliding scale of how bad something is. But God doesn't see that. Gossip to God is defamation of character. It's defamation of another. It's standing in judgment of someone else. Only God can do that. And to take something personal or even perceive something and go tell everybody, oh, by the way, I've told this story many times. I had this one gentleman. Oh, pastor, by the way, I said, listen, enough of you, by the way. If you got something against your brother, go tell him. Don't tell me. If you're sharing someone else's life story, tell them. Don't tell me. I happen to like the people. 
I'll draw my own opinion about someone through my personal relationship. I'm not going to draw a presupposition of someone else's life because you told me about them. I'm pretty discerning myself. I'll have my own relationship with someone. Are you with me? Yeah. I had to learn that. God had to teach me. And I say that because we think life, well, these things are only innocent. Please understand something. God hates the lying tongue. Lying is no small sin in the eyes of God. He has zero tolerance towards lying. Zero tolerance. He has zero tolerance towards gossip. Verse 13. If you're not finished yet, get ready. Are you ready? Keep me, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. You listen to this exclamation point there. Does it capture it? Yeah, verse 13. Let them not, this is David saying, I'm a prideful man, God. I'm filled with pride and arrogance, oh God. I'm filled with an inflated ego, God. Watch over my presumptuous sins. Yes, my presumptuous sins, oh God. There are times I'm, I have better than-ism. I'm, I'm better than everybody. Sound familiar? Only David, right? <laughs> Don't miss what this means, okay? You know what this is when David says this, this presumptuous pride that's in? The word of God is used like a seismograph. And so we have these seismographs that they put on the earth and they put down so we can see when there's a fault line is starting to move and it can tell us something that's going to happen, maybe an earthquake and these early warning signs. That's what presumptuous pride is. I can tell you most of the trouble we have in our life is because of pride. Either someone else's or our own. Only the word of God can dictate the smallest of these earth tremors. That's what the Word of God does. It deals with that presumptuous, arrogant, I'm entitled to say what I want when I want. I'm entitled to feel the way I feel. I'm entitled to be angry. I'm entitled to be resentful. I'm entitled to have revenge. I'm entitled, I'm entitled, I'm entitled. David knew he had this in him, but he also knew he wasn't entitled to anything. It's the only way to keep pure. The word of God. Listen to David's closing remarks. It's the only request David makes in the whole psalm. Might not sound much, but if you're a student of the psalms, they request all the time. The only request here is a man laying down low and saying, Oh great God, who knows my heart, who knows my hidden faults? Who knows my presumptuous sins? Oh God, somehow, someway, let my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, oh God. Yes. Do you know where David said that? Do you know what the king did? You might not notice, but the king did not have a book of Psalms. David would go into the temple. And in the temple, the priest would be singing the word of God. That's what the priest did. They sung all a psalm. They're all songs. And they would play it to a musical instrument. 
and as the music was playing and the words were being sung, David's heart is laid low in the temple facing the Ark of the Covenant that was still behind the curtain saying, God, God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing unto you, O most holy Jehovah God, creator of heaven and earth, who has given his law. How much more us who lay down before the cross of Christ and say, God, forgive me of my hidden faults. Forgive me of my presumptuous sins, God. Let them not take hold of me. O God of mercy and O God of grace, as I lay down before the cross of my Savior, Jesus Christ, cover me with his blood. In Jesus' name.